The, uh, the sake of, uh, oh, this is going to work. Oh, I didn't think it was actually going to be a working mic. Um, I'm using a mic um, tonight mostly to record for people who couldn't be here, because I know that we had people here uh, who can't be here that wanted to be here. Um, and we'll also, at the end, when we have time for questions, um, there will be a mic. Uh, so I better get up here, I think. Don't get in the cone of sound. Um, there'll be a mic that, if you could, wait to give your questions into the mic, mostly, again, so that people who are not here can hear the question. I don't have to repeat every question before, before I try to answer it. Um, thanks for, for being here tonight. I know that um, you know this is out of the ordinary, so I appreciate you sacrificing the time. Um, and hopefully this will be helpful to, to you, whether you've been a part of our church for a long time or have just joined. Uh, I want to start off with prayer and then get moving. So I, I honor your time and we can get as much ground covered as possible. Lord Jesus, we thank you for um, the way that you have chosen and loved your church and that you choose a people to glorify yourself and to expand the great work of redemption to cover the face of the earth. And Father, we thank you that as the waters cover the seas, so your glory will fill and overcome and consume the earth. And God, we, we thank you that we get to be a part of that great story we thank you for how you're doing that in our particular corner of the church, in the EPC, and in Valley Hope specifically. Father, I pray that you would help me to speak with clarity um, and that our hearts would be open to you, to one another. Help us, Holy Spirit, to be attentive to your voice. I thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, you know, if you, you probably know at this point, I usually don't speak with any kind of notes, but I took some notes uh, this morning just because I wanted to make sure that I, I was covering everything. Uh, I want to kind of orient you a little bit with the EPC's story, because I think that story helps understand the, uh, the ethos, the why we do things the way that we do them, uh, even even things that may annoy you about the EPC are usually rooted in how the EPC came to be. And I'm not going to cover the full details of the story. We uh, have this very helpful book um, called Liberty and Non-Essentials, written by Don Fortson. The Fortson family has ties to the Montreal area. And Don is a professor of church history at RTS in Charlotte. He's great. He's so brilliant. I'm glad he's in our presbytery. He wrote a whole book about the history of the EPC. Um, he has another book called The Presbyterian Story, which I think is more interesting because it's like all of church history. But this is like everything uh, up until 2016. Yeah, 35 years uh, of our history. This is also really good. Uh, I recommend it to you. I only have one of these, and it's mine, so I can let you borrow it, but I just want it back. That's the only thing. They only made one. Oh, yeah, this is the copy. This is the singular book that he wrote. 
Yeah, this is the holy copy. So um, I commend that to you. Don Fortson, Liberty Non-Essentials. Um, you can check that out. Just real briefly, uh, I'm not going to cover the whole history of Presbyterianism in, uh, in North America. Uh, it's helpful for me. To, it was helpful for me to understand this because I did. I was not born and raised Presbyterian. I was born. Uh, my my mom was an Episcopal member of an Episcopal church. Um, my grandparents were Episcopal. My dad became a believer because she want, he wanted to date my mom. And he became a believer in the Episcopal Church. And, and not only was I baptized in the Episcopal Church, but it was a charismatic Episcopal Church. So it was like a weird blend. Uh, I didn't know much about Presbyterians. I came to Montreal College. And this is terrible, but uh, I came saying, I'm going to go teach these Presbyterians how people should really worship. So I was 18. That's how I, I was arrogant. Yes, but I was 18. Just want to clarify that. So I, I'm a relative newcomer to Presbyterianism generally and the EPC specifically. It helped me to hear the story. Um, Presbyterian families of churches are a part of a history uh, called the Reformed uh, Church, and a lot of you know that. And uh, the Reformed the Presbyterian Church in America has gone through a lot of name shifts and geographical splits, and there's been reunions and Lots of initials smashed together, but the EPC church history kind of zooms in around in the 70s, the 1970s, uh, as, as Presbyterians were reckoning with this continuing pulling apart. Um, in the early part of the century, the, the dominant wing of Pres the Presbyterian church became increasingly uh, liberal, increasingly progressive to the extent that there was fights over the fact that you had uh, pastors and professors denying the, the resurrection of Jesus, the, the sole sufficiency of Christ to save people, and they were being passed and ordained in Presbyterian churches. And at some point, Presbyterians just said, either I am for that or I cannot handle this. And uh, so there was a split. And um, out of that split, there was a couple, uh, there was an issue that one part of the split, which eventually became the PCA, um, there was uh, the, the ethic was we have to draw a hard line on everything so this does not happen again. And so some of these things uh, that were up for debate previously uh, were just not up for debate anymore. And similarly in the PCUSA, there were things that were not up for debate anymore. And you had this middle contingent of Presbyterians who said, well, look, we're really concerned about the Jesus resurrecting and being the only source of salvation. That's, we're really uh, keen on that and want to argue about that. And there's diversity on these other issues. We'd rather not fight about those things. So we're not sure we want to be in the PCA camp or the PCUSA camp. So we'll do our own thing. So the EPC started with this Conviction, both to hold to historical Christian orthodoxy, not wanting to, to compromise on that in the slightest, but also on these other things to allow freedom to disagree, allow freedom for conscience to dictate what a church did, what an individual did. And so it was this kind of weird space in between these two camps. And so what happens is then the EPC forms... And we have the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's our confession of faith 
What that means is, if you don't know, it's a, it's a systematic theology, um, and it's our systematic theology. Not every single person agrees with the Westminster Confession on every single point, but for somebody like me, an ordained minister, I have to say, our assumption is you agree with every point until you tell us where you disagree. Does that make sense? We don't ask that of the members of our churches, um, but for ordained elders, not just teaching elders, but ordained elders and deacons, you have to kind of say where you disagree with Westminster Confession. And there's uh, some space there to disagree. But then for everybody, including members of VPC churches, we have these seven essentials of Christian faith. And these are not negotiable. Uh, for us, they are the, the summary, the distillation of orthodox Christian belief that has been true of all Christians everywhere throughout all of time. And it, not just that you want to be an ordained elder or deacon, but if you want to be a member of an EPC church, you have to be able to subscribe to these seven essentials because they're just so basic to Christian belief. Um, and so we've had these two things for us, both this uh, confession in the Westminster and these essentials of faith, and we felt like these for us are our guidelines and our boundaries, and, uh, and so we've gone forward in that way. So what that means is the EPC has started out with this um, commitment to having a more bottom-up approach to church. What I mean by that is their EPC churches look very different. You, you can go to one EPC church on one Sunday and drive somewhere else and go to a different EPC church, and it looks very different because there's nobody coming from the General Assembly, the highest offices of our denomination, and saying, here is what an EPC church looks like. The commitment has been on, on as many issues as possible to say, decide this at the local church level, band together where possible on bigger projects, but we want to build uh, our denomination and what we ultimately call it now is a movement of, of church planning, evangelical reform churches. We want to build from the bottom up rather than the top down. Now, there's real pluses to that. Um, there is freedom within our churches to figure out what is best for us in a lot of ways. What is, how is God speaking us and uh, speaking to us and leading us as an individual church, um, there's minuses to that. Because sometimes it would just be easier if somebody said, this is how you do this, now do it. Um, we have that to some degree. We have a book of order. We have a book of government, a book of discipline, a book of worship. There's parameters, but within those parameters, there's a lot of freedom for you to just figure it out. And sometimes... I wish they wouldn't do that because I have a hard time figuring things out. But that is the ethos of the EPC, that, that we want as much as possible to push decisions, identity down to the local church level and then and rise up from there. Uh, we benefit from that in a lot of ways. And it's one of the things, honestly, that drew Valley Hope into the EPC because we were an accidental church plant that started in a bar and wasn't sure who was going to be the pastor or how or, or who should be preaching. I was in college when I started preaching at our church plant. Terrible idea. I mean, it's great for me, but anybody who was listening, I feel sorry for them, and I'm glad those things have, were gone and erased from history. 
But it allowed us flexibility, and we knew that as a church planting in a bar kind of people, that we would be at home with a denomination that said, look, we don't need a cookie cutter version of you. Um, there's some tentpole things that we're in on, and there's flexibility with these other things. So it's worked for us as a people uh, in a local congregation. Um, the two major things that, that mark distinctively the EPC uh, from from what we feel like is our closest theological neighbor, the PCA, is, uh, is the issue of the gifts, the charismatic gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the issue of women's ordination. And I want to speak to both of those things, and hopefully you'll hear this ethos as we move through. Um, in, the, in the EPC, uh, again, coming out in the, in the 70s, developing in the 70s, um, and, and roots even before that in the 60s. If you don't know, there, there is a real uh, charismatic renewal movement that starts in the 60s, the, the Jesus movement, the Jesus people movement um, came through strongly in the Catholic Church and other wings of the church, and, and EPC churches have been influenced and affected by that. Uh, and there is also a, a strong contingent within, traditionally within Reformed uh, churches of what's called cessationism. It says all that charismatic stuff, that's not for today. That's all gone. When the Bible was printed and the apostles all died, all that stuff stopped. And so, obviously, you have some real disagreement between those, those camps of people. And, and there isn't room for disagreement uh, more in our, in our PCA family. This is, that's a, a more distinctive difference they're cessationists. In the EPC, we said there's room here to be both brothers and sisters united in mission around the gospel and have patience and time for one another as cessationists and as continuationists. That's the, the term for people who believe the ongoing gifts of the Holy Spirit for today. Um, we have boundaries for all of that. We don't believe in... Uh, in anything that somebody experienced in a charismatic church or in a charismatic EBC church as a revelation is exempt uh, from being uh, examined through the lens of Scripture because that is still our, our defining uh, criteria for faith and practice. All doctrine and revelation already revealed in Scripture. So any sort of charismatic uh, experience of what God is speaking still comes under that lens because, remember, that's one of our guardrails. Um, but the, there's room there for, for an EPC church to be charismatic continuationist, or you have convicted traditional reformed cessationist EPC churches who would not be caught dead in one of those churches. We have churches in our own presbytery who have as, as traditionally and stereotypically reformed service as you can imagine. And in our presbytery are churches of, of what my non-charismatic friends like to call pew jumpers. It's a full-on charismatic service. Uh, it's kind of what I grew up with. And what we say in that, that disagreement, because it's real and live disagreement, is we can disagree about these serious matters. But what we agree on is the gospel. And because of that, we can be family together. 
And so we can set aside this issue. We can go to Presbyterian meetings together. You know, sometimes our cessationist brothers and sisters may feel like charismatics pray too long at Presbytery, or charismatics may feel like those cessationists, they don't pray long enough, or you might get annoyed with each other and have real disagreements about who can and should be invited to speak or things like that. All that's real. All that happens. But that is not what fundamentally defines us as a family of churches. So I'm, I'm a continuationist. I, I, I believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. You've been to, probably been to our worship service. It doesn't look like a charismatic church. I don't know how to explain that to you. Uh, I, can always tell, I can tell you that I was always a bad charismatic. Even when I was in a charismatic church, my preferred mode of worshiping was usually to sit down quietly and read my Bible and pray. So I, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. I can tell you that I, I believe in the continuing gifts of the Spirit, uh, but I obviously think that there's plenty of room, even within our own church, for people who would say, nah, man, I, I don't, <laughs> that's too weird for me. Um, and I'd love to talk to you about that sometime. I'm not here to get into that with you tonight. Um, but maybe we should go on a mission trip sometime. That's usually when you see stuff that freaks you out a little bit. Uh, the other distinctive issue uh, that I anticipated talking about for longer is the issue of women as elders, specifically the ordination of women, both lay elders, uh, what we call teaching elders. Um, we obviously have ordained women deacons in our church. You probably already know that. Um, so I'm not going to really deal with the issue uh, of deacons, but, but of elders. And obviously, this is an issue where people have, this is the thing right? Uh, this is probably the defining thing why people would split from, from one another. And I understand that. It's obviously a really serious issue, an important issue, just like the gifts of the Spirit are an important issue. But our approach as a family of churches has been that the, the true marks of the church are not defined even by the gender of the people who are elders, so for some people, some churches, it's either you have to have women elders. The PCUSA says that. There's a quota. You have to have a number of, piece of, of female elders. Or in the PCA, it's absolutely not allowed. You cannot have one. And what the EPC has said is, this is an issue of conscience in which believers in, in good and earnest attempt to love Jesus, obey scripture, might reasonably disagree. And there is no need for us to split over this. It's not always, it's not always comfortable. I, I've seen in our presbytery uh, that women have come up for, for ordination, and what we've had to do is go from voice vote to written vote so that nobody feels like they have to not speak their conscience. Nobody has to be offended and vote, you know, potentially in front of a, a woman, no, I'm, I, I cannot vote for her ordination because of my principles of conviction on this issue. So we try as respectfully as possible to one another, to ordination candidates, to both be faithful to Scripture and to the, our consciences and how we interpret Scripture, uh, and charitable and kind to one another. And in, it's, it's uncomfortable. I've seen in our presbytery our voting procedures change, I think, like three times as we've tried as best we can to walk this, this middle road. Um, I can share from my personal experience on this issue in the context of our church. Um, 
I was involved in leadership in this church before I was the pastor. Uh, I was, I don't know, 22, 23. And I remember speaking with our, our first pastor, and we, he was making some steps to try to train our first elders. And uh, he had brought some women into the class. And I didn't know much the, the playing field of this theological debate. I hadn't started seminary yet. But I read enough of the Bible to have some questions about some passages and said, like, can you explain this to me and how, how this works? And it was, it was weird because my perception of that uh, conversation was that it was very short and that he, that he couldn't. And we didn't really flesh that out together. Um, so I just kind of set that aside. I had uh, other things more important in my life at that time, like being a husband, new husband, and then quickly a new father, moving to South Africa. I came home. I went to seminary myself. And I'll say, I, I grew up in churches where this was not a question. Men are elders and women are not. It's nothing to do with how smart or capable women are. That's just, that's the rule. That's what God said, and that's what it was. Never really examined it under any sort of theological or exegetical framework at all. Um, but then things changed for me. And as I went to seminary, and as I studied the scriptures, and I thought through the, the Bible, I ultimately came to believe that women are able to be ordained as elders, that women can be pastors. And I believe that for a number of exegetical linguistic reasons and for, the, for theological reasons. And if you look through the whole history of our church, you won't see a woman who's been an elder at our church. And this is, in my personal story, I can show you the math of what it's like to be Presbyterian and to disagree on this. Because I'm the pastor of the church. And I don't get to just push buttons and say, this is what we're doing. This is how it's going to happen. It doesn't work like that because we're Presbyterian. And we make decisions together. And there have been a number of times that we have come back. I, I have... I have, I've been direct and honest with our session multiple times and pushed all of our elders. I want you to think about this. I need to think about this. I think that there are things to, to discuss here that are not clear. And I, we should constantly be reevaluating what we think here in light of Scripture and allowing God the opportunity to change our minds, me included. You flip my mind again if that's, if that's the right thing. We need to be committed to that, to, to one another. And we've had this discussion uh, at one point, probably five or six years ago, me and another, he's, he's now an EPC pastor as well. We were in seminary at the same time, a friend of mine. We flipped a coin. I, both of us were not clear on how we would vote on this. And I drew the lot to write the position paper for women's ordination. He wrote against, and he's a really smart dude. Um, smarter than me. I mostly don't have a problem saying that. And, and we did homework for, for a month and wrote papers with footnotes for all of our elders. And before we had this conversation, we said together, if we are not clearly convicted as a session, then we will not do this. 
We just decided, whatever the decision was, it needed to be clear majority. So for us, that, that meant 80% for one way or the other. And it didn't happen. The 80% didn't happen one way or the other. And so we said, we're not, we're not changing anything. And at that moment, it was possible to go a different route. We could have said, look, this is the majority. It may not be a strong majority, but this is a majority, and this is how it is. This is what we're doing. And I, I've often thought about that over the years and just thought, what, what if we had done that? Some part of me that likes to get my way says, gosh, I wish we would have done that. And some part of me still believes that our best route is to be charitable and patient with one another so that together we can come to a clear conviction. And that hopefully my hope is that, that being patient will be worth it. It'll be worth it for me and, and be patient. being patient will be helpful and beneficial for other people. Um, the, these two positions are called complementarianism and egalitarianism. And uh, I, like I've said, I'm an egalitarian. Those terms aren't great, by the way, because egalitarians believe that men and women complement each other. Complementarians believe that men and women are equal. So they're not great terms. They're just the terms that exist. And I don't like it, but it's just the rules. That's just, it gets too complicated to not use the terms. I, I myself am a convicted egalitarian. I'm not giving you that case tonight. That's not why we're here. I am part of a, a complementarian session. We disagree on this. Part of the wonderful thing about being Presbyterian, even though it's super annoying, is disagreeing. Disagreeing happens, and we believe that the system is better off when you disagree and you pull against one another and things change slowly and you can come to consensus and move slowly together. That's just the nature of the thing. Um, I, I, I think there are like, two possibilities here where things can go wrong and where things can go right. And I know that in the room, there are complementarians who would say, in no way should an elder ever be a woman. And there are egalitarians who say, absolutely, women should be elders today. And I have uh, some, some advice, some, some what I think is a, a better way forward for both groups. My, my first do is that you should assume the best of the people that you disagree with. I think that this is charitable, it is kind, and it's obedient to Jesus' golden rule. That, for example, there are, are, are plenty of complementarians who believe that people who want women to be elders don't value the Bible. And they're just saying it's not fair, and they want things to be fair, just like the rest of the world is focused on fairness. And this way to, of reasoning and reckoning with the Bible is just a way to allow all kinds of things. And we're going to end up looking just like the world. That is not how all egalitarians think. It is how some people think. That exists. But there's, there's bad ways to get at the right destination all over the place. And there are 
Jesus-loving people who love the Bible and are submitted to its authority and have come to this conclusion. And look, John Stott is a man who I hope you're familiar with. John Stott was for the ordination of women. John Stott was no liberal in any way. And if we start to pick up people like John Stott and say, liberal, kick him out, we are, we are poorer for it. And similarly, there's plenty of egalitarians who say, well, complementarians hate women. They, they just can't stand the threat to patriarchal power. Uh, they, whatever. Look, I sit in a room with complementarians every other week. And to, I hate to be sort of uh, cliche about it, but some of my best friends are complementarian. <laughs> They'll tell you, and I believe them in all sincerity, that they love Jesus and love women. Think highly of them and would gladly admit that their wives are in almost every way imaginable superior to them. Intellectually superior, spiritually superior. And their argument is not that they just want to keep women down or that they hate women. They're wrestling with Scripture and saying, this is what I feel like the Bible says and I have to obey it. I don't even understand why God made it this way necessarily, but I have to obey Him here. That, That person should not be treated as if they just want to oppress somebody. Assume the best of the people that you disagree with. And look, they might not actually be the best representation of their case, but you should start assuming that they are and work from there. I would also ask you to do your homework because a lot of people on both sides of this issue have never done their homework. They, they might be able to, to cite parts of 1 Timothy 2 and when Paul says, uh, women should not teach a man, I don't allow women to teach a man. Or they might be able to part, quote part of Galatians 3 when Paul says there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. And that's it. That's the end of the conversation. And wherever, if you are one of those people in either one of those camps, that's not good enough. There are smart people who do hard work with the Bible, who can present to you a much better case than that. And their work deserves your attention and consideration because these are wise, learned people who love Jesus and love the Bible. You should attend to them and see what they might say. Now, you shouldn't be afraid of that, right? Some people are afraid to have ideas examined like that because they're worried, like, what happens if my mind is changed? What if your mind is changed because you're wrong? That, that's a good thing. One of our kind of hallmarks as a reformed people is that we're always reforming. And some of us have kind of circles drawn around some things and say, well, always reforming except for that. That's not healthy. We, we are a people who have these guardrails of, of faith, the essentials of our faith, and we have the Westminster Confession, and we should be open. Within those guardrails, and even some parts of the Westminster Confession guardrails, to continue to be reforming. We have several different uh, editions of the Westminster Confession because always reforming. I would also encourage you to pray for the people that you disagree with. 
And that is an often overlooked thing. I'll be very honest with you. When I am away from the people, men and women, that I disagree with on this issue, I tend to have arguments with them in my head, sometimes in the shower alone, out loud, probably far too often. And guess what happens in those conversations? I crush them. I dominate them. I expose them as a fraud, and I triumph over them with my power, my might. And when I do that, not only do I feel like I'm unassailable in my brilliance, but also that their character is questionable. I find myself getting mad at them for things that they never actually said, for this fake argument that we had. And if I start with prayer in those moments, I'm reminded that this issue is not what knits us together. It is Jesus. And Jesus died for my brother and my sister. Whether we agree on this or not, and if Jesus would love them so, I am called to love them and start from a position of love. And then, honestly, what I found is, even when I don't do the praying part well, when I then go and hang out with those people, I find that I stop being annoyed with them because I just, gosh darn it, I like them. They're just cool. We, we have fun together because they're not their position on this issue. They're a person who I like. I might even love them. And I would also invite you to trust our guardrails. There, there is freedom on this issue which may feel scary and frustrating. But because we have these commitments beyond our, our identity on these issues, there, there is... Uh, there's some walls to how far you're afraid a church might deviate. So for a complementarian, you may be in our church at some point, and we might have a female elder. The church will not disintegrate. We, we don't then adopt all of a liberal position on all of these issues because in our minds these are all grouped together. Because guess what? We're an EPC church. Our doctrine is defined our positions on things like abortion and divorce and sexual ethics, all these things, they're literally on the internet. And we're not getting away from them. And that, that is a good thing. That's, that's why it's good to be part of a larger body, is that you get anchored. Even, even if you are worried that we're gone off on the reservation on this particular issue, we're not, we can't wander away. We're bound to it. And if you're egalitarian and you're saying, there's never been a woman here. Well, our identity as a church is formed around these things that we are committed to. And it, it may be profoundly frustrating that we don't have women elders. But who we are as a church is defined by this thing, by the gospel, by the work of God in the world. And we're not getting away from that. We can't. We're not allowed. It's against the rules. Trust the guardrails, even when you experience disagreement on this and other issues. Um, the, the don'ts are, are kind of mirror images of this. Don't assume the worst about the people who you disagree with. I've seen this 
in complementarians and egalitarians. And you should not assume the worst about the people that you disagree with. Um, it's easy to, to look at very liberal theologians and say, look, they're all egalitarians. This is what this means. Okay, yes, probably all liberal theologians are egalitarian. However, not all egalitarians are liberal theologians. Similarly, if we looked at the sort of bank of men who have beat their wives as Christians, what percentage of those people do you think are complementarians? Probably like 100%. That does not mean that complementarians beat their wives. That, that is, of course, not what that means. And every man that I know, man and woman, who's a complementarian, would more likely beat the beater. It's not acceptable to them. Similarly, we're saying as a, as a church that egalitarians should not be assumed to be the most liberal of, of Christians. Because they're likely not. Or they wouldn't be in an EPC church. There's more comfortable places for them to be than an EPC church. Does that make sense? Don't assume the worst about somebody else, because hopefully nobody will assume the worst about you. That's not healthy. Um, do not avoid this discussion. Do not avoid people who disagree with you on this issue, on issues of the Holy Spirit. We cannot live lives separate from one another. It is not healthy or good. It, it makes us feel more comfortable. It's always more comfortable when everybody agrees with you. But it is not good for you. And I'm not saying that all your best friends need to be people that disagree with you on the most important things. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that nobody is allowed to annoy you. Look, we're family. Who does not get annoyed with their family members? I would like to, to talk to you about counseling, because that's not real. <laughs> I, get, I get annoyed with my family. If we're family together, a healthy family lives in proximity to one another and has the chance to get on each other's nerves. Don't avoid that, but include that kind of annoyance in, in, in your life. At the very least, it's sanctifying because of what God might do in you because of that. I guess um, one of my, as a pastor, as the pastor of this church, specifically in regards to this issue, one of my strongest please, is do not try, do not fall into the habit of addressing what to you might be a problem, this problem, the way the world addresses its problems. The temptation here is, I'm right, they're wrong, I must guard and protect power and control to ensure that my rightness stays right or wins the day. That is the way that the world operates. And it is not healthy for the church to enter into that game. It is corrosive and destructive. 
we have an alternative way to do things because we have an alternative kingdom. We have an alternative king. And look, that means there's practicalities that you and I are involved in that are difficult to navigate because this is a Presbyterian church and there's not just me dictating what we'll do and this is not like a pure democracy where everybody just gets a vote and we vote on every single thing. It's this weird blend of elders making decisions and congregation votes on elders. So there's just some, it feels like politics, but politics is not the way that this city, this polis, isn't meant to operate. And it's tricky. It can be confusing. But when you bring everything out into the light, don't hide it. Don't hide in darkness, but bring everything out into the light. Have a conversation. Have a conversation with people you disagree with about what you think that we should do, who should be on committees, why I want to be on committee, commit questions that I want to ask in that committee, how we vote as a congregation. Those are all things we should just talk about openly, not run campaigns to try to get our way. And I'm saying that as, as I identify a natural temptation to go that route. And fortunately, look, we're still here. So I don't think that this has happened to, to any crazy degree or anything. I, I, I think we would truly be blown apart if this, that had happened in our church. But it's something we should constantly be on guard against. Because of the world that we live in, that's the temptation that it's just in the air that we breathe, the waters that we swim in. And we have to actively point it out and say, no, we're not, not doing it that way. Not going to do it that way. And when we mess up, we have to be quick to repent. We have to, as Paul says, submit to one another within the ethic of, of this family. That is, our, that is our commitment to submit to one another in humility and service and love, even on things like this where we disagree. My, my final just encouragement is to be patient. Be patient. And for some people, that is, that is agonizing. That is agonizing because you want things to be different. Or it's agonizing because you just wish everybody just get on board with the way things are. Either way, the temptation is to run hard and to run fast. And in my experience, limited though it is, that is not ultimately how people change or hearts are one. And if our focus is on getting the maximum number of people to agree with us on this particular issue, then we've drifted. Because Jesus gets to be the Lord of the church. And if at any point our church gets distracted on gifts of the Holy Spirit, women as officers, color of carpet, how we spend money and lose sight of Jesus as Lord of the church, as the Lord, the King that we need to introduce to our neighbors. In that trailer park up there, in those neighborhoods over there, then I'll tell you who is happy the accuser of the brethren. Because then we cease to be a church on mission and we just have change the mission to being right and beating our brother and sister. That is a waste of our time. It's a waste of the good name of Jesus. So we have to be committed to, to be patient and humble and gentle with one another. And I am not saying that 
You know me by now. I am not a naturally humble, gentle, patient person. I'm not saying I have this nailed on by any means. But I love the people of our church. I love being a part of the EPC. I love scripture. And I love that we get to do this together as a family. I want to do it together as a family for a long time. Even if our family just keeps getting on each other's nerves. I'm in on that. I believe in that. So, um, I want to be able to open things up for, for questions for you. Um, Jeremiah has the mic, and if you could just kind of just wait to get the mic, that will, again, we're good here, but for people who are, who are listening who couldn't be here, it would be helpful for them if they could hear the question. So, are there any questions? All right, good. Good night. <laughs> oh, boy. Mine is... It's on, yeah. <laughs> okay, my question is directed to you mm -hmm. as pastor. Yeah. Did you have any reservations, concerns, doubts about the combination of the PCA church with the evangelical church mm -hmm. that you were about to encompass? Were you did you have any Yes. We are of different beliefs. You know that? So, yeah. We all know that. Yes, I, I had doubts and fears because I'm a naturally doubtful and fearful person. I, I naturally anticipate the worst. And so I was just imagining the worst the, that things could, could go. And I'm very happy to be once again proven wrong on that, on that count. I didn't know, any, I, I didn't know anyone here at this church that was left from Swanhill Valley Perez. So I could, it was a blank slate for me to imagine the very worst possibility and scenario, and none of that has happened. I, now being here, now I don't have fears because I've gotten to, to know to enough of a degree, enough of the people to say, man, these folks love Jesus and have leveraged their lives for the gospel and have given away their lives for the gospel. Look, I can, we can figure it out. Any, anything that comes up, we can figure it out. So now, I feel good. Beforehand, just typical me. Yeah. That is personally how I feel that I love you guys. I am very happy with our services. I don't make excuses to lay out on Sunday. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm here <laughs> because I want to be here. And when I hear people make a comment, you know, I just didn't want him to stop when he started his sermon. That makes me feel good. Makes me too. Me feel wonderful. <laughs> and the only thing that concerns me at this point that we, as the longtime residents here, that we are able to gracefully make the change and join instead of saying 
yours and ours. Yeah, yeah. That has been a point which has concerned me greatly. Yep. I don't want yours and ours. Yep. It's just ours. Right. We and us. Yeah. And that's what I want. Me too. Amen. Amen that. <laughs> that's a good soapbox. Piper, do you have a question? Okay. mentioned the guidelines that we have. Um, <clears throat> you said there are seven plus the book church order and those. Like, yep. Can you name the seven for us? Oh, I was hoping you wouldn't say that. Hold on a second. Yes. Okay, once I find the page. Uh, it's basic creedal Christianity, basically. Um, I'm trying to find it in here because I don't want him to say it wrong. Can somebody else do this? Yes, you can. Oh, can I introduce you? Is that okay? Uh, Rachel Toon is the uh, chaplain at uh, Montreal College. She's also an ordained EPC teaching elder who is transferring into our presbytery this weekend on Saturday. Um, she's, she was ordained in the presbytery of the Northwest, and she's transferring into our presbytery. So you probably have to know this. What are the seven essentials? Um, it's, yeah, so if God the Father, uh, Jesus, yay Jesus, Holy Spirit, Trinity, um, the authority of Scripture, uh, and the, the mission of the church, and that's pretty much just, yeah, yeah, work of, yeah, atonement, mm-hmm. yeah, Jesus coming back. Yes, yep. Right, yeah, yeah, it's the, the mission of the church, yeah, mm-hmm. so... Yay, Jesus, we really need Jesus. He did stuff we couldn't do. Yay, Trinity. Yay, evangelism. Holy Spirit. Yes. It's, it's honestly, uh, I mean, one of the reasons, I probably should know it, have it memorized, but one of the reasons I don't is because, it's, to me, it's just so clearly part of the basics of mere Christianity that I just kind of don't even remember how to articulate the specific seven points. Yes, we have a... We go Patty here and then up here. Just, uh, do you have a conference center like Montreat or? No, we don't. We would love one though. So if anybody's looking to get rid of one, <laughs> let us know. Um, we don't. We don't have any institutions either. Um, we have partnerships with some seminaries like RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, and Gordon Conwell, uh, which is where I went. Uh, yeah, King College, well, King University now in Tennessee, um, our presbytery, Ozarks, and then Great Plains. Oh, right here. I, I think that uh, traditionally the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the seven gifts, are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. So what could someone find that would be dis- cause dissent over those seven gifts of the Holy Spirit? Yeah, hopefully they don't have any problem with those. <laughs> <clears throat> it's, you know, it's, it's the ones, the, the typical supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit is sometimes called charismata. Um, speaking, in speaking in tongues, discernment, healing, prophecy. 
Those are really the big ones. Speaking in tongues really freaks people out. Tongues and interpretation, I should say, think of this together. So it, it sounds as if it's almost a, a counterfeit of the seven traditions. Well, I certainly wouldn't say counterfeit. I would say uh, it, there's an addition to. So addition like, to. Uh, it, it's, it's a shame because, you know, Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 spends good deal of time talking about these supernatural gifts of the Spirit. Then he has the whole famous love chapter in 13 where he says the greatest gift that you can have is the gift of love that's given by God. And then he goes right in in 14 and says uh, you should all desire to prophesy. And, and those things just kind of get disconnected. Some people say, well, Paul just wants to focus on love. And some people just say, well, he just wants to focus on what's in 12 and 14. And they, they all they go together. And if you separate them, then you do get into the realm of, of counterfeiting, which is a shame. I think it all is meant to knit together nicely. This isn't really a question, but it's more to um, answer that. There is a really great resource in our valley. It's Presbyterian yes. Reformed Ministries International. And it specifically teaches a Reformed ideology about the gifts of the Spirit and healing, prayer, mm -hmm. ministry. So I think, especially with the comment of it being a counterfeit, I think that would be a really good resource. There's a lot of, we've done prayer trainings here. Um, historically, but they have people coming from all over the country, and they do trainings worldwide. Or the world, yeah. Yeah, and so it's really weird that we don't necessarily know about them here in our valley, but they do free <coughs> trainings, free trainings on what this is, and what, what feels good, especially being someone who wasn't raised in a charismatic environment, is that it feels very grounded and scriptural, so you don't feel, you get to see where it's coming from. It's not an emotionally based yep. experience. Yeah, uh, PRMI is an officially approved EPC resource. That's the word. Thank you. Uh, is is an officially approved. Well, I don't know who was next here. PRMI. Yep. I'll just make a comment to sort of uh, make sure you bounces, put that there you sort go. of bounces off of Kelly's comment. Um, Helen, my wife, has been done a lot of work with uh, PRMI. I always want to think Public Radio International, <laughs> Presbyterian Reformed Ministries. And you know, I came from a background that was um, rapidly secessionist. Secessionist. What, yeah. Now I'm thinking about the Civil War. No, it's um, cessationist of the gifts. And, you know, Helen got involved with that organization, and I remember reading some of their literature and just being so impressed with how scripturally grounded it was. It was very um, tied to scripture. And, and mm -hmm. I left there with um, a lot of, of um, comfort with how they present doctrinal truth you know, I think the word counterfeits come up a couple of times. Anything that is powerful, anything that is important, 
anything that is true will always have a counterfeit. So there's a reason why people counterfeit $100 bills. They don't counterfeit usually <laughs> $1 bills or, or monopoly money. So because there is a counterfeit out there, it's probably evidence that there is something real that is being counterfeited. So I think that's true for a lot of issues. The, the second thing, which, which I take as an argument to say that I agree with the EPC's position on, on having tolerance either way about how people work that out in the church. The second thing is uh, my wife and I, Helen, um, we sort of struggle together. We often take opposite sides of an issue just to sort of make sure it's being fully covered. <laughs> and um, so um, we love each other and um, we need each other. Yep. And I think that, you know, we've commented in this issue of women's ordination, you know, it's, it's challenged me to look more deeply into it and do more of my own homework. And um, that's been a real blessing. And I think that Helen and I, um, not that we're a model for how to get along, but um, <laughs> we're a mixed marriage on several issues, and we, we really enjoy each other. So I would just kind of, you can ask Helen how that's working out, but anyway. <laughs> so I would just encourage, you know, that your point about patience, I think, is also applicable to raising teenagers. So um, that's all I have to say about that. I'll take your word on that. <clears throat> Come talk to me later. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Sean Stewart, and I have some questions. Um, Fire away. First of all, I want to just say this one of Valley. Uh, you guys, uh, what a testimony and what a blessing. Um, and I, I really, I know this coming in here. I really hope that the Lord would bless what y'all have been doing and that he would put gasoline on, on the heart and the passion that y'all have. And y'all have been amazing welcoming us into this community. And I also want to tell you that I, I personally have been nervous coming in because I'm one of the people that would, I don't like the word egalitarian. I believe in women ordination. And, and I, I believe that some women, like I'm a youth worker, and so I'd meet girls that would be following Jesus. And then as they grow up, they begin to have gift of preaching or they would have a gift of overseer. And I would see um, in places they wouldn't have a place to practice that. And so I really, as I ask these questions, I want to tell you all that we really thank you and I think he's trying to say we're all family, and I think he's saying this is a living room, so I hope my comments come across as <laughs> really family not, and not some uh, you know, guy off, off you know, trying to get out of the rails. Um, so I want to ask Anthony a couple questions. One, like, um, our elders aren't here tonight, are they? Are, are any of our current ruling, the active ones, we have some of them that are. David's out of town, yeah. so I know he couldn't be here, um, and Andrew and Wes are not here. Yeah, because I mean, I think that's been one of the things that and, uh, I've had dialogue. I've tried to have dialogue a lot with, with the session on this. And we, I've actually, you know, some of your dues, um, I want to just kind of say, um, I would love to have seen your homework. And, I, you know, I really do think we need to have some discussions. And, and it's been nervous for me to come into this group because I, I felt that we haven't clarified what we are as a church. There's been, there's been when they announced for, or for people, to uh, be elected, to nominated to be a, an elder. They've not said uh, we can't because the session, the, the, the Book of Order in 10-2 allows the session member to say, hey, if I don't believe it's biblical, I can't approve you. 
which is understandable. But we haven't announced that to the congregation, saying, hey, don't nominate women who run that. So it's been a struggle with that, and, it, and there's been some anxiousness that um, am I going to be in the place? And with y'all, I mean, y'all are coming from a PCA, so that's your tradition. So it's feeling like, wow, um, I'm going to be in a place. And you're asking us to be patient. Um, that's a difficult thing because I don't want to be someone who's trying to fight or argue. And I like your, your suggestion for us to keep in the guardrails. In the, in the EPC, what they've done, they've given guardrails some, some a little bit of latitude. If a church in this area chose not to want to be part of Mid-Atlantic because they're nominating uh, women or they can move to a different one. Their guardrails allow mm -hmm. some distance. Yep. So my question would be for you is that for someone like me, um, what I, you know, wanting to, like, like I think, I think, I think absolutely those who are against, you know, have a hierarchical view of, of you know, like the men for leadership, those who are for, for women, like, we don't want to get caught in that battle. That's the sweet part about EPC. We don't want to get in these battles because Satan wins right. because we're, we're not doing the work of the kingdom, bringing more people to the banqueting table. Yep. So my question would be, like, when you say within the guardrails, you're asking us to sort of stay in here and be patient. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I don't want to come in and get in a dogfight when the same way that we, we have two churches in this valley that are EPC. Yeah. do have women. Two, two other, yeah. yeah. So for my question would be, what I mean, do... If someone has a view on that women mm -hmm. uh, should be, and you really see that currently the session isn't going to allow any to be nominated, um, you know, so that's the part where... Well, the session cannot control who is nominated. That's the work of the nominating committee. Okay, correct. But the, the, uh, that, that would be... The, what, then explain what has happened with the nominations that have been given. We've given at both of them women to be nominated. What has happened? Uh, so I, I wasn't there for all of the nominating committee's meetings. Um, all I, all I can tell from what I know is that the nominating committee chose not to nominate women. Okay. That's, well, they, see, that's again where maybe there's not much discussion going on because what I've heard is that it's partly in that they're not going to be, uh, nominated by the elders. So we're not going to bring them to the group. No, no, no. We've, because we want this to not be... We don't want this to be in the dark or be confusing. We'll tell the nominating committee, like, look, this is, this is how it works. The congregation, this is one of the EPC's things, is the congregation always in perpetuity has the right to call their own elders. Nobody can come in from the outside and tell you who to call. So the congregation has the right to, to call their elders. The, the way that we do that is through the nominating committee. And so the nominating committee gets to act on behalf of the congregation. Yep. And so we've told the people, we've told the nominating committees, look, this is how it is. Nominating, we can't tell you what to do. If you nominate a woman, the way the session is currently composed, that person can, that woman can go all the way through training, receive the nomination totally within their rights. And I've, I've told, I told the nominating committee this time, I'm not going to lie to you. You can do that. That's the right of the congregation to, to nominate, to make that nomination. As the session is currently composed, I cannot see that that person would be approved. Mm. So if you know that, mm. and the person you want to nominate knows that, and you still want to move forward, because you want to just say, hey, let's let the Holy Spirit mm. throw something out there and make it happen, that's great, but we just want all the cards to be on the table before such a nomination is made. Yeah, so maybe, maybe that's, that's what we've said. That, that would be what I would share is that uh, 
that I think that has a lot of influence on in what you share with them. I think it does. And I, again, I've not, I haven't been on the nominating committee. I've been one that has been nominated and, you know, that hasn't gone interestingly well. But I, I would say this, that for, uh, for myself, that, that your, your request for us to kind of do it and to be patient, I, I, I don't know, I feel like that it's going to be a difficult thing when we haven't had a chance to hear why our elders believe their views sure. or what other people have. We haven't had that opportunity. Yep. Uh, this, this tonight for sure isn't the place because we need to show people's homework. Um, and yep. I don't think there's anything on the calendar planned for any of that. No. Yeah, so that's the part where I, I think it would be. And, and I, you know, like, I, again, I want to just share this, that my, my biggest passion is that when we, when the one is that people would know how much God loves them and that he's given to them and that we bring as many people into the kingdom as we can here and around the world. Mm -hmm. and, and so for, for myself, it's like it's one of those uh, challenges that I feel like, you know, perhaps trying to abide by your, your, your do's and don'ts it's, I'm not sure if I want to be the one to sort of be this nagger or, uh, you know, you know what I mean, um, to be sort of the one yeah. to sort of to beat the dead horse. Because I, I don't feel like we have discussed this well as a family. I don't think our elders have really responded well to, uh, to particularly experiences of being talking about. Some of the things that you're saying to, to do and don't, I haven't seen us practicing that much, I guess, necessarily. Trying to, again... That's just my experience, folks. Please, you know, I, I know there's probably a lot of people here that just say, hey, Sean, don't listen to this guy. He's crazy. But anyway, that that would be my perspective. And, and Anthony, I, I really do appreciate what you're coming and sharing tonight. I guess this is the last part. I just want to thank you that you have, that you shared how you struggle with being in this role of being a four women in leadership. And I, this is one of the first time I've heard you share that out. So that's really cool. But I also want to say that what a blessing it is for you because even though you are, you believe in it, you can practice your gifts. If, if we have any women here that have that gift of teaching and preaching, they can't practice that here, at least as a, they haven't yet. You know, and that's the part, like, I, I love that you are in a difficult situation. I love that you're sharing how hard it is to be, you know, with all these, with the complementarian elders. But if you were a woman, you wouldn't be in that position. You wouldn't be able to have that. And that's the part I think that sort of, I long for, for the future and I long for uh, women that would be coming into this community in our current cultural world where, where we have a, a lot of issues that, um, that are there. So anyway, thank you. Well, one thing I will say <clears throat> is um, gifting is something that the session is responsible to steward. And it is men and women, and I, I would just say this in my, you know, seven and a half years of being a pastor and being here at this church for 15 years, I don't think it's something we've always been good at, men or women, and it is totally right for any member of our church to say, I don't think my gifts are being used, and the session is responsible to take that seriously, and that doesn't matter if the person saying that is man or woman. It doesn't matter if the session member is complementarian or egalitarian. The call of God and the elders in the church is to steward the gifts of the people and to equip them for the works of ministry, period. So I've, I've said 
before, I've said for, for years, um, you know, the giftings that God gives his people are, you know, there's, there's no uh, gender ascribed to them. The office is calling to office. There's conversation and debate about that, obviously, but giftings are not. That's just not in the Greek. It's not there. And the session is responsible to steward those gifts. And so if there are women, if you're saying that there's women in this church that aren't having their giftings used, I 100% believe you. That is not a case that you have to argue to me. And I, I would say that that is true of, of men in this church as well. And I don't, that bothers me. That keeps me up at night. Literally, I wake up at night and think about this. And it makes me sick. It's one of the things that I will go, I'm going away on sabbatical this summer. It's one of the things I'm just spend months thinking about and praying about. It kills me. And I don't like it for, for anyone. And I would, I would openly apologize and publicly apologize to any woman or man that feels that way and, and say it's not right. And hopefully we'll do better. That's all I can promise in that regard. Yeah. <clears throat> it, I don't know. Is it green? There. The only thing I would say, I'm Anna George. I'm married to an elder, Andrew George, who I made stay home because we have three little kids that <laughs> had to come. So that's why he's not here. But he would just say, come talk to the session. Um, session meetings are every other Monday night. And so I think that that would be a better situation or better place to talk about all of this stuff. So, um, the first half is open to whoever wants to come. More than the first half, yeah. Okay. It's really yeah. So that may be a good place. Always. Session meetings are public yeah. until we're dealing with uh, private pastoral issues. Just, if you could, give me a heads up so I can organize the meeting to make sure that we leave space. But, yes, anybody always is uh, invited to the session. And I will especially say uh, that, that we're aware that there's, only men in that room, and we believe that God speaks to women, and we need to have the to have women speaking in to our church. And I'll tell you, if you come to a session meeting, you'll see anybody who comes, pretty much everybody who comes talks. It just happens. You get sucked in one way or the other, and you have a part in the discussion and and influence things. And it'd be really important, especially, it'd be great if women would come to our session meetings. I would I would love that, and I know that's not for. For egalitarians, that's not enough. You want to vote. I get it. I can't, that can't make that happen tomorrow. You know, that's, that's not how it works. But you can be a part of the process at the very least, which we would greatly benefit from. Please come. So I just want to... Um just kind of tag on to what Sean said just a little bit of. Um, I think this is amazing as being a member here for a long time, being on the session for seven years. Um, this is good. This is good conversation. It's, we're, we're talking, I think, really for the first time publicly about this. And, and, and I think that it's good. And, it's, and, and I would like to see, I think, you know, even, even being on the session, one of the things for the, for the women's issue is, is just knowing then what is the path. I think that's, that's kind of what you're saying is <clears throat> if, if we do have folks that want this, 
how, what is the path for that? Because yeah. it, it, all the things that you say and in, in in being in the family are wonderful and good. And I know that our, our nature is to hold a grudge or to, to be against this person because they don't, you know. So I would ask the session now and sessions coming up that, that um, as, as we did, to, um, you know, to have these open conversations, um, to be willing to be changed in that, because sometimes it would seem, and the pendulum may swing the other way, that sometimes, and, and again, I've, I've been in that room, I know, um, that there, some people may not perceive a way to move in a different direction. Mm -hmm. It's it's the uh, I, I don't like using the analogy, but the but the fox kind of guarding the hen house is, you know, we, we don't want this thing, we don't want women, um, or we do, or you know, however it may play out at some point in the future. So how do we then get around that as a congregation who nominates people? And I think that this has been the first time that we've had this big open discussion about this to say. These are the way, this is the way our church feel. You know, we have the ability to go back and forth. We have the freedom in that. We have the liberty. But I, I'm just, I'm just, I'm, I'm so grateful that we're having the conversation of transparency in this right now. And I think moving forward for our next nominating uh, committees, I think it's, again, good to let the congregation know kind of where we stand in all this. Um, so we do know. Um, you know, if we do have people that want to see that change, that they know how to get there. Because I think that's been one of our stumbling blocks is just not knowing how to get there um, with, with the system that we have in place, if that's clear. Yeah. I, <clears throat> one thing that I, I just want to, and I talked about this with the nominating committee this year, and I, um, I, let, me, let me just l let you in on something we don't haven't known what we're doing with the nominating committee. This is the third year that we've had one in our existence. This is one of the things that would be helpful if the EPC said, this is how you have a nominating committee. All of, all of us figuring this out has been like me talking to other pastors and other churches and say, how are we supposed to do this? And people have different versions of it. And so we've made obvious and public mistakes. And we're hopefully every year doing a little bit better. Hopefully. Um, so this year, I was more involved in the nominating committee, spent more time in the beginning. And one of the things that I, I said to the nominating committee is it, it is appropriate to ask where a person might stand on this issue. If that's, it's, it's an important thing. You can ask that. You should ask it if it's really important to you. And, you know, you should factor that in to, to how you vote. That's totally appropriate. To, to do that. This is a good thing to talk about. But I also said to them, this is not the defining criteria for an elder. An elder is called to shepherd the flock of God under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And we are looking for people who are fitting that description. And if there's an egalitarian, that, and you're an egalitarian, you want an egalitarian on the session, and the committee together feels like this person is not ready to shepherd the flock of God, you should not vote for that person, even if they agree with you on that issue. And if you are a complementarian, likewise. If you find somebody who's a complementarian but is not ready to shepherd the flock of God, you should not nominate that person. And if you are a complementarian and you find an egalitarian person who is very ready to shepherd the flock of God, you should nominate that person. 
And the same thing for egalitarians and complementarians. Because this is in the mix for what goes for, towards being an elder, but this is not by any means the defining characteristic. So how do you get there? I get just a little nervous with that question because that is down the order of priority for me. The first question should be is, how do we find the people who are called to shepherd the flock of God underneath the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ? And that then comes. So, let's, so then the question may be like, okay, what if they're equally ready? And how do we find women who we feel are ready? And if I'm an egalitarian, how do I one day see that happen? That, I mean, that, that's a fair question. So I'm, I'm assuming and trusting that's down the order of priorities for you as well. I'm, I'm pretty sure that working with you for so many years. Um, the, 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 the congregation has input here. And again, this is why I have an invitation to patience. This changes slowly. This changes by having elders on the session who have an egalitarian conviction, who one day would say, I will approve a woman who is nominated. So that then we're not talking to the nominating committee and saying, if you nominate a woman, it's not going to happen. So that's the way it happens, is, the, is people on the session, their views change. Now, that still doesn't guarantee anything, because the congregation still has the right to vote up or down after training. It's not like the elders approve them, and then it's done. So you still live in a community with a bunch of people, and if a majority of people in our church are complementarian, they might go all the way through nomination, all the way through training, all the way through elder approval, come to the last day and not be approved by the congregation, and that's it. For that year, that's, that's how it is. So it's no guarantee, but the, the step in that direction on that particular issue is for the, the minds of elders to change or the elders to change who have that conviction. That's how you slowly move that way. Right. And, and so just, just so we're clear, that's not, it is way down the list. My, yeah. my, my fear is that in the past, that women in our congregation have felt marginalized because they don't know that path, that, that they don't know, and I'm not saying just, the, just women in, in, on, on the session, but I'm saying that I've, I can tell you that women have felt marginalized in our congregation, because, and I'm glad you're speaking to the leadership. You and I have talked about this a lot. We don't yep. need, but um, that's the reason why, is I'm glad the transparency, I, I want that transparency because I would never want to, um, have a, have a woman in our congregation that feels marginalized because she feels like things are, are being done behind her back or behind, or mm -hmm. even a, um, you know, an egalitarian that, that is having something done behind their back that they don't know the process and what's going on. I'm just glad we're talking about the process. Yeah. As yeah. A whole. In, in, in every instance and circumstance, this is not, by definition, not a disqualifying issue. And it, you know, whatever, wherever you are in either camp, it should not be that if you tick this box, then you're disqualified. That's against our rules as a, as a denomination. Now, the church could go to one step and, and write into bylaws, this is not against the rules for us, and the EPC wouldn't say anything about it because it's a local church's issue. I would not recommend going down that route for complementarians or egalitarians. Yes. As a woman, an older woman, 
Um, and by the way, I am part of this body, you know, so you're all stuck with me. But Good. As a, as a woman, you know, looking and listening to what y'all are saying, I think, this is my opinion, I feel like, because I've thought about some of that stuff, uh, I feel like nobody can hold me down if Jesus is telling me to do something. If I cannot do something in my church and he's called me to do it, I will do it outside the church. And I don't mean outside of authority. But I mean where I work, what I do, I talk to people every week about Jesus, and I pray with people every week. Mm. You know, God has given me a calling under my husband. I'm a stickler, so I do it under the authority of a stickler. And um, I don't have a problem whether someone is an elder or not. I think the bottom line for me is, I'm going to do whatever Jesus tells me to do, mm. whatever the Lord tells me to do. And I know in the past I've probably done some crazy things. And my church family knows that a little bit. But, um, I mean, I've preached uh, for all the people listening at home, there's lots of heads <laughs> nodding. <laughs> we were known as the owls back in the, in the day, the older, wiser, loving souls. But anyway, um, but we, you know, I've even been, when the Lord healed me, which is a story that I won't even go into, and we were coming home. And it was an amazing thing. It was an instantaneous thing. And I was running and jumping when he was carrying me an hour before. Wow. But on the way home, you know, you get kind of excited. And I was telling everybody in the women's restroom, because I had people that were a captive audience. They couldn't get out of the stalls, you know. <laughs> and there was a line. So, you know, you just go wherever Jesus, well, I didn't mean it that way. But you just, uh, wherever Jesus wants you to be, you know, and you do whatever Jesus wants you to do. And it's you know, it's a, it goes back to that relationship, that thing in the morning. I love you, Lord. I have another day you've given me. We're all on borrowed time, you know. But whatever happens, you know, and whatever y'all decide, uh, um, just, just remember that I think I, us women know that we are not tied down. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, because we've got spirit. You know, in, in more ways than one. We've got spirit, and we want to support the men. We want to support the women. You know, uh, we support each other as family. But um, that doesn't define us, who we are, because we are a daughter of the king. Yeah. So an amen from this, from this side. <clears throat> I wanted to just say about the, and you kind of mentioned this about the process being slow for change. Yeah. Um, don't rule out that God can change an elder's heart. Say it again. Don't rule out that God can change an elder's heart. Hmm. We supposedly believe that that's supposed to be happening. Right. We we claim to believe that. Yeah. We claim to be listening. You know, to, that the church, that the session listens. So let's assume and pray for that with passion. You know, um, it may go one way or the other, or, or the session might 20 years from now or one year from now be completely different. But I, I would just say we as a church, we cannot function without the Holy Spirit's mm -hmm. leading. And I think sometimes we... I'm the same way. I get very practical and think, okay, pragmatically, how am I going to get to that goal? You know, and 
I think that you know one of the strengths and weaknesses of the Presbyterian model, as you've said, is change happens very slowly. Yep. And and there's a good part to that and a frustrating part to that. Yep. So hopefully the Holy Spirit is the biggest changer in our congregation. I hope that that's true. I hope that that's a more powerful change than yep. composition of committees or who happened to get enough votes. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> I I I think that is it's sort of it's a hard thing to trust that an elder's heart can be changed, an elder's mind can be changed. I can just tell you for myself that has happened. That's that's my data point. This is me. Um, and 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 I could just be weird like a, on this, like I'm weird on lots of other things. Um, but I hope that everybody in our church has the ability to trust the character of the people who are leading our church, that they are at least open and willing to that, for that to happen, and are grieved when we fail our people because we know that we have, we're dealing with the great shepherd of the sheep's sheep. They're not ours, not our people. And I think all of us, I hope, take that seriously, very seriously. And uh, hopefully in light of that, remain open to being changed. For being so um, vulnerable and for, for everyone here actually sort of voicing things they may or may not have voiced for, for a number of years. My name is Ben. I teach at the, the college here. I love going to church here. Before I came to church here, I was at a PCA church in Philadelphia for a number of years. Um, I, I'm an egalitarian, and um, I, I would like to go back to this question of sort of, of homework. Um, I hear from, from the pulpit you, you espouse Fleming Rutledge, um, an absolutely brilliant conservative evangelical scholar, maybe more than, than anyone else. And I think when you get to this question of, of patience, um, I, I feel I've been patient for a number of years. Um, I feel this conversation hasn't really happened in open environments ever. I've tried many times to have a conversation, and they've happened in ways, but always with a very intense power dynamic hang hanging over things that, that makes conversation very difficult. Um, and when we, when we think of patience, you know, if, I'm, if I would project at things, I would not have a lot of hope for, for my position. Mm -hmm. I, I don't see a pathway, um, especially with the experience I've had talking to people and the way the process works, I don't think it's right for me to get into my criticism of the process. Um, well, some people are not here. But I, I do think a really helpful thing for, for this question of patience would be to have a conversation that doesn't just happen in the session. I think it's great that people are invited to have, go to the session. Um, but that's a very intimidating environment to, sure, to be yeah. there for men and to, yep. it's just, it's not, it's, it's, it's important and beautiful if that's open, but I would just, I would like to have a public call that the congregation has a discussion about this. Um, and I think that could take three months, that could take two years, that could take five years, um, but there would be more peace, I think, on, on both sides of where we, where sure. we stand. Yep. And, you know, I've, I've got a six-year-old daughter. She feel, probably feels called to be like a donut baker right now, right? <laughs> but if, if she's called, like, Several women in this church who have, you know, 
have practiced authority over men in the past currently cannot speak from our pulpit. Um, that would be a great tragedy uh, if the church that she's growing up in, she can't do that, right? Um, so those are my hopes and dreams for my daughter and for my sons to see women like that. Um, so for me, I would, I would ask publicly that we do have some type of conversation. I don't want to dictate how that happens, but yeah. I, I, think, I think that conversation needs to happen not just in session, um, but in a slightly more public way. It can be very slow, but I, I do would like to, I'd like to make a call for that conversation to happen. I think it'd be good for our, our respective congregations coming together as well. Yeah, I I don't think we're we're saying that's not going to happen. To me, this is important first to how you disagree before it's sort of like prolegomena, like how the terms of the debate, how we are going to intend to debate before we actually do it. Um, and part of it, I don't. Look, part of it has been uncomfortable f for me in that I, I want to present the best of both sides on this particular issue. And I don't want anyone to ever feel like I'm railroading or manipulating so that people will agree with me. I'm confident in my position, why I believe it. And I also know I have an unfair advantage. I'm a seminary-trained pastor, and I don't, I believe that I can give two sides of an argument pretty well, but I don't want to ever put anybody in a position, commentarian brother and sister, where they would look at me and say, you got an egalitarian given our side of the thing. That's not fair. And that, I, I haven't known what to do with that, quite honestly. That's just uncomfortable and awkward for me. And... I'm a professional talker. I talk every day for money. I have a distinct advantage in a number of ways. And I want to be sensitive to my complementarian brothers and sisters. And yeah, that's been a motivating factor for me. Um, I mean, I have two women here, Caroline and Holden, who is also seminary trained, um, started the ordination process out west. Two women who can give the egalitarian case very well in my stead, but that I, I don't have somebody else with that kind of training and expertise. And, and uh, we could do that. We, I could find somebody outside of our church and bring, bring them in. Um, but that's kind of just freaked me out a little bit, to be honest with you. I, I'd like that to come from within our church, and I don't want other people to feel um, cheated out of discussion. Now, that's something that we can come back around to and will come back around to, is uh, I don't really want to have a public debate. Uh, I don't think that's particularly healthy. In my mind, I'd rather just say, look, here's the best case for this position, best case for this position. Let's have dinner and go home. You can think about it later, and we can come back and have a conversation about that. Um, and maybe that's something that we can do going forward. I don't have a problem with that. I'm, I'm comfortable with that. We just kind of have to, to work that out. I'm, I'm not, I, so what I'm saying is that's not impossible. I'd like to figure out how to do it really well. Helen, oh, Kelly, okay. I have the microphone. Um, so, I, I have it. Um, Zach Washburn, I'm wondering if we can get those papers because yeah, I, still I have remember them. when Ryan was 
on the session and you guys were doing it. So Zach Washburn used to be a teaching elder here. He's the pastor that you were speaking about. They did, they took the opposite, they flipped the coin. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading those yep. and thinking, oh my, oh, honestly, oh my God. Like the, this is, how would we ever know? And um, so as a woman, there's a couple things. And Anthony knows, I've, I've sat with him many times. Um, saying I would never be able to say um, because I have an agenda as a woman I feel a certain way because I do feel like I have gifts that I've been given that I don't know how to steward well in our congregation Anthony I've talked about that and that God Kathy you're exactly right will play he is not bound he will put his leaders in place and so I do think um, that it would be lovely, my two points were, it would be lovely if we could get those, have mm -hmm. those accessible, and really almost charge each other. Whichever side you lean to, we all lean, but we're all fallible and we all see from our own lens. And when we really open those up, asking the Holy Spirit to change us if for his, to his ideal, <laughs> right? And so that we would be seeking to understand each other instead of trying to prove our own point. Um, the second, the second part about that is just being one of those women who feels like, am I stewarding my talents well, Lord? Because I feel like you've made me certain ways, and I don't know how to cultivate those gifts. So I, 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 I'm outing myself, right? So I love you all, and we are family, and that's why I've been in this community for however long, since the beginning, feeling super awkward and continually coming and saying, hey, I'm kind of feeling awkward, and knowing that God will put me in place. But I just want to say, being that woman, I absolutely, like, I hear all this, and I hear it and I feel it because I've felt it and I've heard it. But I say that we need to be treading so carefully here because I came to this community because I saw a people. I wasn't raised in any denomination. I saw a people who were under the authority of the Holy Spirit. And I believed that they were my family. And so even though I have felt like, Lord, what do I do? And it doesn't mean I'm not the nagging kind of like tap, 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 what do you do with me person? I am that tap, 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 what do you do with me person? Like, we can figure this out together. And so where evil would like to divide us, I'm just, I've been praying over this meeting. We've been, there's a group of us that's been praying um, over this meeting, and I just think we might need to lean into that, uh, praying over unity and love being what defines us and being able to speak truth and love. Um, so I think all of these conversations, bring them out on the table, it feels more vulnerable, but I honestly think it's a safer place than when it was under and in the darkness. Yes. And um, and I just think maybe we might be putting a look in the newsletter, we might be doing some more prayer time. And it would be lovely if we all came together, no matter where we're coming from, just that the Lord would be glorified, mm -hmm. and he would show us how to steward the gifts of all the congregants, of everyone here. So I just wanted to put that out there for the two things, to get the papers, and then also just praying against the spirit of division here. Yep. Yep. That's good. I think we can find those papers somewhere. Some, yeah, probably Google Docs. Probably like to update mine, to be honest. So, just real quick, um, is it Helen and then Sean, and then is it all right if we sort of cut from there? Is that okay? And if you have questions for me, you can come out afterwards and, and then we'll be 
pushing two hours there, so just back up. Yeah, sorry. I, I just wanted to reiterate. I'm with Kelly on the prayer for this um, whole issue in our church, and um, definitely pray for one another. Also, one of the do's that you said, have conversation and pray for one another. And um, on a littler note, there's a wonderful um, essay that my husband happened to give to me as we were doing our homework, trying to study each other's sides um, on this issue that was ab about the EPC standard of freedom. And um, so when, and I have a daughter too then, so I do think about this, I also am a woman, um, <laughs> so I do think about this, but I think when we, we think about sides, it's so important to overarching think about the freedom the freedom of the Holy Spirit to work within either side, mm -hmm. either side of this issue. God is not limited. Women are not limited in what God will call us to do and have us to do um, under any, any side. So just um, appealing to freedom. And if you want that essay, I will find it for you. It's a great essay. Sounds good one. Yeah, I would, I would just really like to ask that if we do have this discussion that you don't just bring in all these experts. I think the family needs to have a chance to speak into these issues. And I also think our elders, I think it would it'd be really helpful for us to be able to hear our elders give what their reasons for what they believe. And they, and they may not feel comfortable if they're comfortable with that. Right, yeah. Right, and I think and the reason I feel like it is because we, uh, we, you, you want this to be a family. Um, the church, we only get to vote on two things, really. We get to vote on our leaders, and we get to vote on money matters. And the rest of it, we trust to our elders. Right, yeah. And so we, once we vote them in, we, uh, we are called to submit ourselves to their authority. And we, and we do. Um, and that's the part where I feel like that's the part where it is important to have the people in the house talk a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I know there's a fear that, you know, the lay people aren't going to know. But I think, we, I think this, we'd be very surprised. So I'll say that. And then I, um, this... So I've just asked that if we if we could like if we can talk more, um, and then I want to just say I get to travel to all EPC churches all over because of my role, and I, I I want you to know this that I I love that we have places where women can be and women aren't. Okay, so I'm a yeah. <laughs> I'm a coordinator of mobilization for World Outreach. So I work with finding all the missionaries that will be going out to help fulfill the seventh essential um, that's part of our work. And I love seeing it. And this is what I really love most is that there's an agreement within the EPC that they, the teaching and the ruling elders, they may be a complementarian or they may be what you call an egalitarian, but they will agree that even though I won't, but they will serve side by side. Absolutely. They, they will, and they will vote side by side because I've heard it said, this was, it was a beautiful one. It was in a, it, it, when they were beginning to figure out how to help churches be in a presbytery that would fit their, their theological place on this, the churches that had made decisions on it. Um, and it was beautiful to see our, our, one of our, he was a complementarian speaking to, a, to one, because one complementarian says, I don't know, how am I supposed to, uh, if I can't vote for her, why, how can I serve with her? And he said, brother, if you can't serve with her, you're in the wrong denomination. Yep. And it, so that, it, it was one of those saying that, can you respect that that's not our essential? Right. And that we, what our essential is, is to bring more people into the kingdom of God. And that, that more people experience what it is to know their identity in Jesus and to have that future hope. And so, yep. and uh, and that is, we, and we're seeing that happen. And, and by the way, um, 
The best part about what's happening with the EPC and coming into it is what God's doing through our presbyteries on the grassroots level yep. with uh, Engage 2025 and those kind of things. So, anyway. yep. Yeah, it's <clears throat> in a lot of ways I get the real opportunity, the privilege on this to, to be in a presbytery with people who I really disagree with and who we're all just delighted together to be on mission for the gospel. I mean, the, the guy that uh, I really looked to as like my real guide on the ministerial committee in the presbytery, he, he was like, it's a commentarian church, we're probably never going to have a woman elder. And he was, he's like the most helpful, friendly face I had at the presbytery, just, such a, just clearly loves Jesus and loves being on mission with Jesus. And, and for us, this is not an issue that kicks people out of the room. It's just not. And I feel that way very strongly. And I, I feel like we're better for that, um, even though it's hard. Um, and it is hard, and I'm not going to lie about that. We've had loud discussions in our session meetings before. I've had loud discussions. Because um, people are passionate about it, and it matters. Um, but I am convinced every elder that I've served with, the people, the leaders in our church, who, by the way, a lot of them are women, um, and lead a lot of our areas of ministry, I have seen that. Love Jesus. Give their, give their time, their talent, their treasure to serve Jesus. And that, to me, just shows how great Jesus is. I think it makes much of Jesus. And uh, I'm grateful for that. And, um, you know, if you have any questions coming out of this, feel free to come to me and, and talk to me. Uh, I know that for some people, um, you know, their pastor talking like this would be grounds for firing from one side or the other. I'm not what you'd like. I'm not going to push either of your sides the way that you like. And um, I hope that you can trust that my heart with you and for you is, is that you'd love Jesus and be on a mission with Jesus and that we can be on a mission together and... Um, I want to see you flourish and what God has called you to, the giftings that he's given you. I want to see us flourish together. And uh, I hope that you can trust that and, and you can come talk to me anytime. Um, I'm, I'm around. Now I'm here a lot, so <clears throat> you know where to find me. Um, let me pray for us and uh, we'll be, be done. Lord of the church, um, we're grateful that there's a day coming when we will sit at your banquet table and the, the questions, all the questions of our hearts will be resolved, that the unity that we've, that we've hoped for and prayed for will come into its fullest fullness as we, we eat in light of your face. And Father, I pray that we would we would live according to that certain future. We would not only pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done, but we'd, we'd live as citizens of that kingdom. We need you. We pray that by your pow the power of your Holy Spirit, we would be more and more shaped and conformed to the image of your Son, to the great glory of God in all the earth. We trust you, Jesus, to have your way in us. Amen. Thanks for coming.